So what got you into some work then? Um, I was a customs officer. Uh-huh. And so um, I, when, I, when I joined customs, I joined it specifically to become a drug detector dog handler. And after I left, um, it just never dawned on me for about, I don't know, 15, 20 years that other people might be interested in it. Uh-huh. And so an off-the-cuff conversation with my friend Sue Sternberg when we were on holiday um, sparked trying it in my pet dog training classes. Okay. Yeah, so she just said, well, why are you not teaching scent work? And I said, well, who, who cares about scent work except me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's how clever I am, you know, how far-sighted I am. Um, uh-huh. And so we started, I started introducing it in the class, and then it got to the point where people started to say, well, look, we don't want to do anything in the class except scent work. Oh, wow. And so then I put on a workshop, and then it just kind of balloons from there. So, yeah, a, a really lucky conversation. So you, you said you got into the customs knowing that you wanted to do drug detection. Yeah. Is that something, is it like the police, you have to you have to work up to that? Or? Yeah, well, in a way, you have to, uh, you join customs as a, as a regular customs officer, and you have to do your first year of probation. And then after you've done your year's probation, there would be what they call a national troll, where everyone nationally around the country could apply once a year to become a drug detector dog handler. And then if you got selected at that point, then you would go forward and be trained up. And at that point, we were trained up by the Royal Air Force. Oh, OK. That's really interesting. So that's quite similar to what they do in the police, isn't it? It is. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's slightly faster track, but I'm not sure. But I know that, you know, you've, you've got to do your probation. And then after that, it's, it's just it's an interview. You know, it was the first time I'd really been to London, but down to the big smoke, big interview. Yeah. I was terrified. Oh, my God, <laughs> I was late. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to blow it. But... Uh-huh. Were you a dog? Tra- were you a dog trainer at that point as well? No, no. I I okay. always loved animals. Um, always loved dogs. Um, you know, I was the, the child in the street that would bring home all the strays, so they would all congregate outside my house, much to my mum's displeasure. Um, uh-huh. um, but I, I wasn't a dog trainer at that point because I was only a baby then. I was only I joined customs when I was seventeen. Uh-huh. So I think I think at the time I was the youngest qualified handler in the country. I was not, oh, wow. yeah, I was That's nineteen really cool. then when I qualified. So you left the drug detection dog and then uh, job and then you um, then you went into dog training. Yeah, or? and then I went to um, hearing dogs, so I became a hearing dog trainer. Oh wow, you've done it all, haven't you? I've tried. <laughs> I've tried pretty much a lot of things. <laughs> you name what I've been there. I'm very old, you know. That's why. <laughs> So you okay? Well, now we've opened up a, did you not, another nah, street. You didn't now that, I didn't know about hearing dogs. Ah, yes, I yeah, I've trained with hearing dogs down in Oxford. That's when they were based in Oxford. Uh huh. So what made you want to switch jobs then? It just wasn't. Well, I I really loved working the drug detector dogs. I absolutely adored it. Um, but I I you know I had some ambition and I wanted to sort of move up the grades and customs and you couldn't do that and still work the dogs. So I said, oh, if you won't well, let me work the dogs, I'm leaving. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so you went from there to hearing dogs. Then, But you, you mentioned you were running, running classes. Uh, running classes after hearing dogs. Okay. So then after hearing dogs, you went into more pet dog training. Yeah. I, um, while I was at hearing dogs, I went on a seminar with Ian Dunbar and so met him. And then... He pretty much twisted my arm right up my back to say, you will go and run dog training classes because <laughs> I was okay, too scared cool. to do it. I was like, no, I can't do that. It's too scary. Uh-huh. Um, and so I ran um, serious dog training for him in this country. 
Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So, so that kind of started, that was kind of my first story. I mean, I'd always been to dog training classes with my own dogs. Um, but that was kind of the first time that I officially struck out on my own and, and worked under, under, um, sort of my own steam as, as it were. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So then, so then your class people are telling you, we want to just do scent work. Oh, no, so no, that... no, 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 no. This, this is, you've got, you've got many more years to come yet before we get to that point. Okay. No, 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 this is way back. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you explain I'm it. Sorry, I know you... I didn't realise I was going to give you my whole CV, but, you know, you well, started at the I. beginning, so then I'm you... going with it. Yeah, nor did I, but that's the way that <laughs> so the So the short version is, um, so I did that, and and then I, I burned myself out, and I wanted nothing else to do with dog training at all. And I actually went off and did a degree in consumer and trading standards, you know, like all good dog trainers should. Um, actually got my love of dog training back while doing that, kind of funded myself by doing my behaviour and training through that. Um, then came down to uh, Cambridgeshire and was the behaviourist for Wood Green Animal Shelters. And then after I left them, then I started my dog training classes down here. And then those were the classes that I started doing the scent work at. Uh-huh. So that's... Okay, where you, based, where, we, where you say here, where, where is that? Um, I'm based in Peterborough. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then it, so then you went from running pet dog classes to, to just doing ascent work? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, I did, I did the, the pet dog classes, plus I did uh, one-to-ones, um, behavioural consults from vets, you know, so I was doing kind of all the regular stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But but the scent work has taken off so much that, that bit by bit I had to start kind of just saying, like, I don't have enough hours in the day. Um, scent workers, you know, I, I absolutely adore it. So it's just, I stopped doing the classes, and then I stopped doing the behaviour work, and now it's just, it's completely scent work. I do some rally as well, some talking dogs rally, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, scent work is the thing that, that keeps me busy every week. So then it kind of just morphed into talking dogs. Well, we, well I, com- I call my company Talking Dogs Limited, and that's what I called it when I started doing um, dog training classes down here. So that was probably 2002, I think, 2002, 2003. Um, and so my company is called Talking Dogs, and so therefore, we, when we started doing the rally, we wanted to distinguish it from any other types of rallies. So it was Talking Dogs Rally. So therefore, when mm-hmm. I started the scent work, I thought, well, we keep it part of the Talking Dogs family and call it Talking Dogs Scent Work. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Doesn't yeah, it? it's, our, it's our little family. You know, all, all the all the little parts of the company all run under the same ethos and the same goals. And so I mm-hmm. think it's it's become quite a nice brand for people that when they see talking dogs, they kind of know what they're going to get. Sure. Um, and obviously, when people first see your stuff, firstly you see all the different levels, don't you? Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit how it works with all the levels and? Yeah, well, I looked at it. I mean, I mean, I mean, the poor people that came to my first workshop. I mean, I'm amazed that any of them came back because I just kind of threw in all, all I knew about scent work in, in one day, um, and and having done it now for a while, you know, it, it's it's way too much. So I very quickly realised that I needed to break it down into small, manageable chunks, and so therefore we I started looking at you know what do people need and what can I teach in a day so that people can practice it, that they don't get overwhelmed and that the dogs don't get overwhelmed. And so it's really, in a sense, in essence, it's six workshops. We do have a scent seven, but in essence, it's six workshops. Scent one, people start on that. And that's where we teach the dogs the scent work game. So we teach the dogs first. 
um, and the, the handlers are there kind of just trying to take a little bit in as much as they can, but it's really focused on the dogs. Then on scent work two, uh, the handler is the focus. So we work really hard on teaching them how they can support their dog, how they can work their dog, and actually what their role is, because the handler's role is one that's, that's you know, very, very often overlooked, and it's, it's absolutely essential for, for, the, for the well-being of the dog. Um, and so then after that, scent three, we practice everything that we've learned on scent two, including our search patterns, and, and all the time we're expanding what the dog's doing. So, you know, we start the dog off and sent one with some very small exercises, you know, maybe a search with six boxes, a couple of chairs. Then, you know, we, we very quite quickly actually can, can, can bring the dogs up. So they're looking for multiple finds. We start layering it up, which means that you put um, the scented article inside a box, inside a bag, inside another box. So you're starting to build layers. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. what we want to do is, is we want to keep challenging the dog and making it fun. Um, but by reducing the scent picture, it means they have to work a little bit harder sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, scent four is our outside um, workshop, which is really exciting. We've got, it used to be just in um, Peterborough that I did this, um, but my fabulous trainers have sourced different venues around the country now. So that's a day where you go, you work your dog outside all day. We only have six handlers on that course, so everyone gets lots of one-to-one. And they also start to learn about putting fines out because hiding articles is just as much of an art as, as searching for them. So we kind of really work on that. Then five, five is kind of like, it's kind of the practice before the exam type of thing. So they're quite tough searches where, we're, you know, we're working the dogs for quite a long time. They're maybe doing maybe 15, 20 minute searches. Uh, the handlers have to really think about how they're working the dog, how they can support them, what's happening. And that's in preparation for sense six which we call our handler accreditation day and that's where they come in they do some searches and i sit with my little clipboard in a very scary manner and mark everything that they do um just to see if, if, they, if they kind of reach the benchmark that we've set to say that they've, they've learned you know so much mm-hmm. so that's kind of our scent one to scent six so um at what level of the dogs come the end of these six uh, uh things in comparison to maybe the dogs you're working with in customs? Oh, pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. It's interesting because it's um, a lot of the things that, that, that we're doing is, is not exactly what the customs dogs are doing themselves. I mean, customs, you're, you're looking for, uh, ideally, you're looking for bulk amounts of, of, of drugs. You know, we always, we, you know, if we find something, we used to call it a job. So we're always looking for big jobs. You know, you can get, you know, if you can get the kilos, you can get the tons. Oh, my goodness, it's amazing. But also the sure. dogs would find, you know, really small amounts, which as a dog handler, I actually liked better because it showed my dog was really working. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if we think about what we're doing um, with Talking Dog Scent Work, we're actually taking the dogs to, to just as high a level in as much as they are finding things with really small scent pictures. Um, you know, they're working in a variety of locations, which, again, the customs dogs are asked to do. Um, you know, but it's it's, you know, it's, we're never really looking for for a lot of of, of scent. We're always looking for very small amounts. Um, so so I think they're they're pretty good. And considering that that we don't select the dogs, the way that I've set this up, um, we've set it up so that every breed and every type of dog can be successful. So mm-hmm. considering there's no self selection, it it constantly amazes and delights me how well the dogs can do. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned reducing the scent picture. Mm. 
Do you find there's a limit to that or a point where the dog starts to do false indications? Uh, we don't get false indications because we do an active indication. Okay. So that, that just gets rid of that straight away. Um, mm -hmm. and, and very much we believe if, if the dog indicates there's something there or there has been something there. And so that's one of the big advantages of using an active indication. Um, what we when you say active indication, can you be a little bit more specific? Is, is it retrieving? Is yeah, it yeah? With the active indication, the dog actually is, is encouraged to go right into the hide to bring out the thing that they they found the scent on. So okay. it means that they go in, they get it out. Um, How does that work when they can't get to the when they can't get uh, to that? Then they will generally offer up an untrained passive. So we're, we're getting technical here, is this all right? <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Um, I don't know if you've seen my videos, I do a little bit of scent work, but nothing nothing as 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 advanced as what you've been doing. <laughs> so this is quite an interesting one for me as yeah, well. With, with, um, with, it's, it's very interesting because because um, a lot of people see the passive indication, that's what they see when they, they go to the airport, you know, they see the passive indication on the shows on TV. The passive indication is, is a really big ask for dogs that have not been selected to do the work. Mm -hmm. It's also a really big ask for people who are working the dogs. I mean, a passive indication requires an immense skill, actually, from the handler to do it properly. And, and, and if you get it wrong at the start, which everyone does when they're learning something new, then it's okay. really, really easy to turn the dog off scent work. Because uh -huh. the dogs get it really quickly. And then if you're asking the handler to, to perform at a very high level right from the beginning, it's impossible. You're setting them up for failure. And then in turn, uh -huh. you set the dogs up for failure. So the way that we do it is we teach the dogs to find things on an active indication. And remember I said at, at scent one, we, have, um, we teach the dogs how to, how to do the job. And then scent two, we, we work with the handlers. And that's because it gives the handlers lots of wiggle room because they come on scent too, and then we're really kind of honing down the handling skills. And so they're trying to think of which way they're walking, which hand they're using, you know, where they should be going to next. While they're processing that and trying to practice that, if the dog is working and is happily finding the items, then he's not going to be too worried if the handler's not exactly where they need to be. Okay. And so therefore it doesn't put the dog off. Whereas if uh -huh. the dog is, is still at a very, very early stage and the handler's at an early stage and they're both kind of struggling to figure out what the, what the plan is, that's the quickest mm -hmm. way to disaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from my own experience, I started off basically, I kind of, I'm a little bit self-taught, mm -hmm. um, so I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, no, best way to learn. <laughs> still, I'm, still I'm making a lot of mistakes yeah, as I'm too. just about to go into. <laughs> um, for whatever reason, I decided to start on the passive indication, probably because of what you said yeah. uh, about that's what I teach. Mm. Um, so I wanted my dogs, or the dogs that I've trained so far, to sit yep. when I come across the scent. Um, but one of the dogs I'm working with at the moment, um, is this the first time I've come across this problem, is he, he has started to give what I thought was false indications. So he would sit um, and indicate on somewhere where the scent wasn't. Mm -hmm. But as I've kind of experimented I think what it is now uh, as this is maybe me trying to figure it out mm -hmm. is maybe that he's indicating on what we call residual odour so where it's been before yeah. uh, and because of the dogs that I trained in the past where that never had really happened they'd always just indicated on the strongest scent mm -hmm. but I think maybe it's because I'm getting more advanced now and the scent the trait 
the hides are becoming harder, mm. he's actually just indicating on the residual odour. Well, yeah, you, exactly that. I mean, you've, you've got kind of two things at play there, two potential things at play, absolutely the residual odour. So we would never, until about scent... Oh, I think it's probably sometimes on a three, depending on the dogs, and then on a five. Until that point, we would never reuse um, a box or a hide that we'd used before unless there's something in it. So mm-hmm. we take all that residual right out of there as much as we can. I mean, we've had it where um, we had a dog come into a workshop and it kept indicating on a certain box. And I said to the handler, I said, look, have you used this box before? No, absolutely not. We've never used it. And then she came up to me at lunchtime and she said, oh, Pam, I've remembered. She said, when I was travelling over today, she said, I had the box sitting in the back seat of the car and beside it, I had all the scented articles in a plastic mm-hmm. bag. So therefore, mm-hmm. the box absolutely was taking on scent. And mm-hmm. so therefore, when the dog was indicating on it, the dog was correct. And that's why I say with an active indication, if the dog indicates it on it, we absolutely say, yeah, brilliant, you are correct. Because okay, we, cool. we don't know if they're wrong. And, and the the other thing with the active is that it's not in the dog's interest to give a false indication. If he gives a false indication, there's nothing there anyway. So if he goes, if he says it's here, and then we say, well, go and get it, and then he goes in and says, oh, well, there is nothing there. That's not rewarding for him at all. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. I've not thought about yeah, it like that. Yeah, you see? And so, but if, with an active indication, um, I, um, what a lot of people do with an active indication is the dog sits and then you throw them a tennis ball. So that's, that's okay. kind of generally what happens. On an active indication. On an active indication. So okay. therefore, the dog doesn't get in, get to get the item out himself. So he, that's not his reward. His reward is not playing with that. His reward is saying, I know it's here and I'm telling you that. So now you have to deliver reward to me. And okay. so most, most handlers do that with a tennis ball. And what mm-hmm. happens with smart dogs is smart dogs go, OK, if I sit, you have to give me my ball. Yeah. And you don't know if they're sitting because they fit the scent or not. So you're saying that's only only becomes a problem when the reward isn't what they're finding. Exactly, when it's an external reward, then the dog the dog because the dog says, well, you know, is it the sit that gets the reward? Yeah, absolutely. And if and if you're doing if you're doing a search, um, and you don't know where the scent is, so you're doing a blind uh, a blind search, so you don't know where it is. The dog doesn't know where it is. If the dog sits and indicates, and you don't you don't reward that dog, you might be missing the find. So therefore, mm-hmm. you have to reward the dog. But that means that you actually have to train for that. You have to train all the time and keep reminding the dog that it's not just the sit you want. It's the sit because he smells the scent. So what do you do then in the instance that a dog starts to develop false indications when you're, when you're using the you ha- um, external rule? You have to go back. You have to go back. You have to make sure everything's completely clean. And you have to only reward him for sitting when there um, is the scent present. So would you just ignore it? I would just ignore it, but I would set it up and I would I would re I would basically go back to the last successful step. So basic dog training, go back to the last successful step, which would mean putting something out, knowing where it is. So when the dog comes up and sits right at it, absolutely perfect. You can give him his reward. So set it sure. up so that he hits the scent really early. Okay, cool. You also mentioned that you, obviously you, you're not breeding dogs for these programs. These no, are just these are pet dogs, dogs yeah. coming in. Um, so, and in terms of breeds, do you find that some are better than others? Nope. You don't find that at <laughs> no, all? No, it's amazing, isn't it? It, it? Because I think it all, it all depends on where you're coming from in terms of what's the best dog. For me, when I'm just, bear in mind, this is for fun. And this, this is really important to me. This is, we're doing this for fun and we're doing this for fun for the dog. 
Mm -hmm. um, which is another reason that I don't put the passive in. Because again, if, if you've got a passive indication, what you're doing is you're teaching the dog to find the scent. But then when he finds the scent, something has to click in his mind and he has to remember, oh God, now when I find that scent, I have to stop myself going anywhere near it. And I have to do, God, now what do I have to do? Oh, it's a sit, yes, sit. And then I hope that my handler is going to reward me at the right time, otherwise I might think I got it wrong. That's quite stressful if you've not got a dog that's highly motivated to do the job. Okay. You've got a dog that's highly motivated to do the job. They are going to do that all day, every day, and love every second of it. Mm -hmm. But if you have a dog that's not <clears throat> motivated to work or whose drive to work is, is kind of like, well, I'll maybe do it. I'm, you know, I'll see how it feels, see if there's anything else more interesting. If you have that kind of dog, then the active indication absolutely suits them. So therefore, it means that if we set them up in an active indication, that means that they're allowed to work in their own style so that when they hit the scent, they can do whatever they like and they mm -hmm. can work at their own pace. So, you know, all our dogs will work in their own style at their own pace and they all look very different. We've got, um, we had a deer hound recently um, and this deer hound, if you just looked at it at first, it looked like it was just wandering around the room, completely disinterested, doesn't want to do anything. Oh, my goodness. However, every time this dog hit the scent, it told us straight away and it never missed it. Mm -hmm. So therefore, that dog's style of work was very casual, but it was very accurate. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the key. So, you know, we're not trying to turn everything into, you know, your high-drive Springer Spaniel. I mean, that, uh -huh. that to me, has is, been the biggest lesson I've learned because that's what I was used to working. But working with all the different breeds and, and allowing them to develop their own styles and then enhancing that style and making them as successful as possible, that's taught me way more about scent work than I ever learned as a professional handler. That's really interesting. So why do you think that police forces generally always use the same breeds? Well, they use the same breeds because <clears throat> they're selecting for the dogs that want to do it all day, every day. You yeah. know, so that's, that's why they're selecting. I mean, I know that um, Simon Gadbois has done quite a lot of work in Canada. Um, and that what they found is that Border Collies have come out really strong. So that's, that's the one that they, they get most success with. Um, mm -hmm. I think in this country, um, when I was working as, as a customs officer, you know, it, there was a lot of things in play. So you're, you're looking at the dogs that have got great stamina. You're working at the dogs that are very brave. You know, they have to go into some scary places. Um, they're also now they're looking for dogs that are pretty much great temperaments as well. They don't want dogs that, that have got issues with other dogs, issues with people. Sure. Um, and, and also you're looking for dogs that kennel well. You know, we, we tried quite a few, a few of the HPRs when we were there, and, and they don't kennel very well. So therefore that affects, you know, how they work. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's lots of factors at play. You know, you, you, want, you want like your springers and your labs to, to go out and, and work because they are going to work all day, every day. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to go out there and work, you know, a pug. You know, a pug can do scent work as well as them, but it can't do it in, in the amount and in the consistency that, that, that you'd be looking for in a, in a, in a working dog. Okay. Um, so the dogs aren't taken home then? Uh, no, the no, no. Oh, is that not even an option? Officially, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, bearing in mind, you know, it's a while since I've been in customs. I mean, I, I know that uh, things have changed quite a bit. You know, when I was there, we all worked in an active indication. They were just bringing in passives, um, you know, while now all the dogs work passive. 
you know, they don't just search for, for, for drugs now, so they search for multiple scents. So, so there have been a lot of changes, so that might be one. But as far as I'm aware, they all still have kennels. And sometimes that's really, that's really essential because those dogs work long days. You know, our, our minimum day when I was there was 10 hours. And so, therefore, after the end of that day, you know, you're going to go into another 10 hours the next day. And so, therefore, the dog needs to properly rest. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, the kennels, and I have to say, the kennels were way nicer than our offices ever were. Okay. Those kennels are amazing. <laughs> uh-huh. So, uh-huh. so that's why that's kind of why they were kenneled. But you know, I, I won't say that we never snuck them home occasionally. Yeah, from my own um, experience, again with scent work, it seems mad to me when you think that uh, a dog working for a ten-hour day, like I just can't even begin to fathom how a dog can stay focused for that no. amount of time. I mean, I mean, especially sorry, especially when because it's not always. It's not like like when we do a, a search, like I might. We'll set it up, I'll tell the dog to search, search, search an area. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is, I, I can't remember the technical term, where you're just walking through an area, isn't a it? A free search. Is that what you call it? Free search is where you work the area with minimal guidance. You, you kind of move the dog around using your body language um, so that they start to kind of cover most of the area before you start your really detailed search. I don't know if that's... I think I'm actually starting to think more of festival stuff. Where people are coming through the gates and they're just mm. yeah. I feel I get myself a little bit confused. No, that no, it's, there's lots of different things. I mean, that that again is, is sort of a free search. I mean, it depends how they want to do it. I mean, a lot of uh-huh. the people that do it at festivals, you know, they're 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 kind of self-taught. Um, but what you're looking for there is you're kind of it's a sort of free search and it's a sort of directed because you've only got one thing to search, which is this person and everything that's on them as they come through. So they're checking okay. each one as they come through. And, you know, a little bit like, you know, you do a vehicle search at Dover. So every car that comes through, you check that in the, in the line. Um, you go through it. Um, so so you, you are doing a little bit of that. And it, and it is it is really heavy on the dogs. I mean, they, they do need a lot of breaks. Um, yeah, I can't even... I can't, I can't even understand how they could go for that long. Do they have... Do they have... You said they have a lot of oh, breaks. Oh, they have to. They have to. I mean, I don't know how yeah. they work at festivals. I would imagine that they've got, um, you know, several dogs working in the day, and when one dog's not working, the other dog's working, so they've got something on all the time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, an example of when I was being customs, so I would I watched Springer Spaniels, and my colleague watched um, Labradors. And so the difference between the two is that the, 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 um, the Labrador could work for, like, 20-minute stretches, and then need mm-hmm. to rest, and then it would rest for 20 minutes and then come back again and work. Whereas the Springer could work for 40 minutes, but it would need need a 40 minute rest. So they they they've got greater stamina okay. because usually because they're smaller, the bigger the dogs, the quicker they, they heat up. That's re- usually what tires them out faster. Oh wow! Yeah, because okay. if they're heating up, then they're panting, and if they're panting, uh-huh. they're not scenting efficiently. Ah, oh, yeah, I've no- certainly noticed when I when I do scent work, once they start panting. Yeah. You're starting to wrap it up. Absolutely, absolutely. Because everything they're bringing in, they're just just breathing back out again. Uh huh. So, so what about things like beagles? Beagles, uh, well, beagles again, because it's a slightly different different method of working. Beagles and the dogs that are working, like your search and rescue dogs, it's the the level of concentration is not quite as high because they're scanning, they're sort of quartering, they're covering large areas, so that they're kind of doing sort of giant free searches all the time. Whereas if you're working, say, you know, you're working in a cabin or an engine room or an airport, then you're actually working for quite concentrated periods and you're looking in, 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 a, in very detailed areas. You know, you're covering an awful lot of ground within a small space. 
And so therefore the yeah. concentration is very intense. And then they come out and have a break and then intense and come out and have a break. So again, and that's why different styles are used. So if you look at the dogs that are they're doing the search and rescue, they are mostly doing um, air scenting. So they're air scenting rather than those on the ground and trailing. Mm-hmm. And that's just so you can get you know, a, bigger, a bigger scent picture and just try and catch it earlier. Have you come across either individual dogs or breeds where you've kind of thought, oh my God, they're missing a the trick here. Like this, this dog should really be, oh, yeah. or this breed should really be. Oh, yeah, slots. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every so often, every so often one comes up and I'm like, oh my goodness, customs would kill for this dog. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh. Some some are just are just absolutely made to do it, and they just adore it, and they just you know, you know. And and again, those those dogs can be can be difficult to work with if if you're not quite sure about what's happening. Because what can sometimes happen is that the search itself, the more you do, the search itself becomes the reward. Mm-hmm. But if the search itself is higher than the reward that they get at the end of the search, when they find the item then yeah. it's not in their interest to tell you that they found it. They just want to keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have to be careful. You have to keep that balance up. Mm-hmm. I've certainly found with the Doberman I work work with a lot, I, I kind of, whenever I do scent with him, work with him, I'm like, oh my God, why aren't they using Dobermans for stuff? Because he's so, just so good at it. So good. And again, I mean, you think <laughs> that the larger dogs, the larger dogs for customs, are, we've got lots of issues. Um, First of all, they don't want any dogs that, that look intimidating to the public, which is why they don't use German Shepherds. Oh, well, is that because people can kind of yeah, people get worried. say, I don't want to be searched by that? Yeah, people or... get really scared. I mean, I've had, I've had a woman run back down the um, concourse back onto the plane because she saw me coming along with the Springer Spaniel. I bet you thought, I thought she's hello. Got <laughs> hello, you definitely want a word with anything she was just terrified but you know so that's kind of one of the reasons that, that they don't want those type of breeds and secondly is the type of spaces that you're working in so if you're working you know if you're getting a dog sort of searching inside of the cabs of trucks if you're getting a dog searching i mean if, if you look the next time you go to play and look at that space that's a really tight space so if you're getting a dog to work that you know the smaller the dog the better actually so, so what we used to do in customs is my springer would, would search the plane and then my colleague with the lab would search the baggage. Okay. You know, so that we would kind of do, you know, sort of a two-pronged attack on this particular flight um, because my dog could actually, you know, literally spring from, from seat to seat, aisle to aisle, up and down to, you know, go up to the overhead lockers, come down to the floor uh-huh. um, and, and work for quite a long time like that. Whereas if you have a lab doing it, they get, you know, it's, it's such a tight space, it's hard for them to turn around. Physically, it's really demanding. So... So if you've got a smaller, lighter dog, then you can actually get them into more places and, and work them for a little bit longer. Have you got a favourite dog to work? I mean, I, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I come back to Springer. I think that's because that's what I learned to work with. Um, uh-huh. I, I love their style. I love their attitude. Um, you know, they're, they're just kind of go get it. You know, they, they really want it. They really want to do it. Um, but I've not found a dog so far that I've not enjoyed working. It, that's the hardest thing at workshops. People come in with their dogs and I want to work every one. <laughs> yeah, I always feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> Class I'm it's so like, you do it. <laughs> it's so difficult. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think sometimes you get the more unusual views. I think, oh, I'd like to have a little shot of that. You know, just yeah. to see how that feels and see what happens with that. So, so I've not found any that I go, oh, God, yeah, that's a rubbish dog to work. They're all... When I was... When I was sorry, nope. when I was kind of teaching myself, um, the one I came across a lot on kind of videos and DVDs and stuff was the Malinois. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you, if you've had any experience with them or you found 
how you found them. I mean, they're great. They, they, they absolutely can do the job. I mean, they're certainly, I don't, in my opinion, they're not pet dogs. They are, uh-huh. they are for people that are very experienced. Um, and certainly, you know, they, they, will, they will do pretty much whatever you want them to do, um, as long as you know how to work with them. We had um, Corinne on last, and she was also talking about how with her puppies last time round, because she breeds Malinois, yeah. um, she was talking about how she was, with the puppies she did like scent stimulation stuff, mm-hmm. and how she thought it made a real big difference with um, their performance in scent regard scent stuff mm-hmm. in the future. Did you ever do, or did you ever know of any of that being done when you were involved with the customs and stuff? No, I mean, it was interesting because um, I think there's, there's more kind of science being done to, to really figure out how dogs do it because we really, you know, we, we're only just sort of scratching the surface of, of how we think they're actually processing the scent. Um, and certainly I think that anything that you can do to, to, to switch those, those scent skills on at an early stage is good. And also just in terms of of, sort of general development, I think that scent's one of the things that that people forget about. Uh-huh. You know, you know, there's, you know, quite often the question I get asked is, you know, when can you start doing scent work with your dog? And I said, well, you know, the minute he's walking around. Sure. You know, the, and I mean, I've I've done, you know, my I think it's on my first DVD. There's a little eight week old lab. You know, it, my if, if if my friends ask them to look after their dog, I'm afraid if it's in my house, they do scent work. Yeah. So I don't care how old it is, how young it is, we're doing scent work. Yeah, people are going to start dropping dogs off, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, service I can offer. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great to expose them to, to to lots of lots of interesting things, so they can just oh my goodness, yeah, I've got this nose, and this is where it can take me. I think it's fabulous. So I'm going to jump back a little bit yeah. because I've, I'm thinking that people are going to get confused. Can we, or can you discuss the difference between passive and active indications? Yeah. So an active indication, when the dog hits the scent, the dog goes into where it's hidden and it pulls out the article that the scent is, is attached to. If it's a passive indication, then when the dog hits the scent, the dog then performs a trained response to let the handler know that they've hit the scent. And then the trained okay. response is then rewarded by the handler. See, I have a kind of... I don't know what you would consider it, because I use a combination of the both in a way. So with the Doberman I work with, we find the scent. Oh, he finds the scent. Sorry, no, I don't <laughs> find it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then he sits, and then I open the drawer or, the, or whatever, and, and then he would just grab the toy, and that's it. Yeah, and did you... So have, so that, have you taught him to sit when he hits the scent? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a trained passive. That's okay. a trained passive. So you can also have an untrained passive. So there'll come a point where, like, you know, if you've, if you've hidden something in lots of layers or you've hidden something high, um, mm-hmm. then the dog, the dog actually can't access it. But what you want to be able to do then is, is the dog will tell you exactly where it is. Okay. So imagine you have um, a stack of chairs. I've done this, I think. Yeah, a stack of chairs. And the dog, the dog says, yeah, this, this, this stack of chairs is fantastic. Now... Quite often with a passive, especially with a sit or a down passive, then the dog will sit at the stack of chairs. And then as Uh the person, your job is you have to go through all the chairs to find out which one it's on. Mm -hmm. If you've taught an active indication or if you've taught a stare passive, which I'm happy to talk about. Yeah, I've done that. (laughs) I didn't know it was a thing, but I've done it. Well, that's (laughs) much more accurate. And I mean, that's what customers use now. They use a stare indication because then what the dog will do is the dog will stare right at the spot. If it's an active indication, the dog tries to get to it. I can't get to it, so he ends up just looking at it. And it means that as a handler, I can put my hand right in and I should be able to put my hand exactly on the spot that he's looking and I should okay. find it. 
So that that really is what I would call an untrained passive, and it's because he can access it. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so you know that that's a really really nice way to do it because again, the dog is has not got that little that little click in his head that says, okay, I've hit the scent, I have to do something special now. The dog can carry on what he's normally been doing until he gets to the point and says, well, actually, I can't get it out, and, we, and that's where we step in and say, perfect, you've told us where it is, we will help you now. Okay. So that's where it's nice that it's that it's 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 the development of it. And so you, sometimes if you see any of the advanced videos, then that's that's what you're sometimes seeing is you're seeing an untrained passive, and that's where you can you okay. can get that with dogs who are not selected. Yeah, because it's a, I've always well from what I've seen, I the one that I love the best is the freeze indication. Yeah. Well, they just freeze and just like, oh stare at it. Yeah, exactly. It looks so cool. Exactly, it does. It looks very cool. <laughs> and if that's your dog Sterling, your dog wants to do that, fantastic, fantastic. Uh-huh. But you would rather. I'd rather they go they and do their own thing. Yeah, I because because again, this is this, this is for fun. That I think, I think it's. I find it difficult. I don't watch many of the videos now on YouTube, on Facebook, of people doing certain work because I find them really distressing. I, I I find the lack of support the dog has from the handler. I find it just it it's not it's okay. nothing to do with positive training. It's actually nothing uh-huh. to do with any training. The the dog gets no feedback whether he's sniffing, whether he's not sniffing. You know the handler's putting all the responsibility, all the stress onto the dog. Uh-huh. And and I and I and I I find it really distressing. And a lot of them I see it, it's kind of a a sort of a semi passive, but it's the dog's not really sure. What quite often happens is when people teach a passive indication, they skip the first section of the training, which is the most important, which is teaching the response you want to the scent. And they they kind of very quickly move on to the search part because that's the exciting part. Mm -hmm. So unless you present the scent to the dog and the dog immediately goes, oh, yeah, that's my scent, I'm sitting, you're not ready Mm -hmm. to search. Okay. Yeah, because otherwise then the dog is searching. And, 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 and what you have to do with that is that you have to have um, known searches. That's where the handler knows where the find is. Mm. The minute you know where the find is, you will always influence the dog. Uh-huh. No matter how much you try, you will influence the dog, and the dog will start to wait for cues from you before he indicates. Or he'll kind of just give you a little look like, is, is, could this be right? And then you confirm it for him. Uh-huh. Whereas, because we teach the active indication, we the very first searches people do with us are blind searches. So therefore, the only way they know the dog's hit it is by looking at the dog. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool, and it makes for a much more accurate um, identification of the indications. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, they're, they're not inadvertently cueing the dogs, and so therefore the dogs really right from the start know what they're doing and they know what they're looking for they're not waiting for external cues to say yeah that's that's it there um what do you think of scent work competition because there doesn't really seem to be uh, a real well there doesn't really seem to be competition out there at the moment i i do you think yeah i don't like it i don't like it i've been asked several times if i will do it and, and my answer is always no and it always will be no i i think that the minute you put competition into something it changes it Mm-hmm. And and I think if you want to go out and do competitions, that's great. That's that's fine. I've got no problem with it, but it's not for me, and it's not for for a lot of people. A lot of people that that I train, um, pet dog people in the main. So mm-hmm. people that are you know they're not obsessed with dogs like us. They're just normal. <laughs> You know, yeah, sure. every waking moment is not wondering, well, why did my dog do that? And how did he learn this? And why did he not do sure. that? They, uh-huh. They're not really bothered. 
Whereas mm-hmm. if, if you can do scent work and, and you can you can give them stages so they can work through stages, you know, they can develop their skills in their own time in their own way. But that mm-hmm. they're not being judged against somebody else. You're not saying my dog's better than your dog. Because I, I find, I mean, having set up a dog sport, having set up Talking Dogs Rally, I know that the minute you put that, that element in there, everything changes. And so, they, anyway. yeah, so therefore, well, you see, I just, I don't think it's, it's particularly healthy. I mean, I'm, I'm not a particularly competitive person. I think my, some of my friends disagree with that, but I don't think I am, um, uh-huh. unless I'm gaming. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's very different. <laughs> um, but I think, I think for me, I, I just want people to, to have fun with their dogs. I mean, we have little games days where we have, you know, we have games and, you know, you have little nice little competitions in there just for fun. But 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 there's nothing serious about it. There's nothing to say that, you know, oh, well, you know, my dog's better than your dog, because I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. So are you just uncomfortable with, with the idea of competition or is there something particularly you don't? I think I think when you get competition, it becomes about the handler rather than the dog. Uh-huh. I think the handler wants to achieve things. The handler wants to get prizes. The handler wants to move forward. Um, and I don't think the dog really cares. Are you against other dog sports then? Are you, do, you, do you feel that there shouldn't be competition in other no, sports? No, I think, I, I think competition is fine, but I think that people have to listen to their dogs more. You know, I mean, you know I, I'm out and about a lot, and I see a lot of dogs competing in things. And, you know, there's always a, a fair percentage of dogs that, to me, look like they're having an absolutely miserable time. Yeah. And I think that people should should kind of look at their dogs and try things out and try lots of things. I mean, now, I mean, compared to when I started dog training, you know, what, 30 years ago, the amount of different activities you can do with your dog. You know, go mm-hmm. and find one that your dog really likes rather than mm-hmm. one that you want to impose on your dog. Sure. You know, I I think, and again, it's just, it's, that's just, just my philosophy. For me, it's dogs first. None of this is, is important. None of this is, is going to make or break. You're not going to lose your house if you, you know, if you don't do your scent work properly. I want the people to go out and enjoy working their dogs, and I want the dogs to be as keen to do it as the handlers. And I think that the handlers, one of the, the joys of scent work is that they really start to learn how to read their dogs. Mm-hmm. And when you're reading your dog looking for an indication, you're also reading your dog to see, is he tired? Is he frustrated? You know, is he aroused? You know, what's happening with my dog emotionally, physically at this moment as well as, you know, are we doing the job in hand? And yeah, I okay. think sometimes that, that that element is missing from from some things when the competition overrides everything else. You know, when people take dogs to competitions and the dogs are not well, you know, they're ill or they're recovering from something and they're trying to work them yeah. too quickly or, you know, they see the dog that, you know, that, that's clearly saying to the, the handler, I don't enjoy this, I find it stressful, I don't want to be in this environment. And, you know, the handlers can get, quite often can just get wrapped up in the, in the excitement of it. If you're reading mm. your dog and you're having a great time, your dog's having a great time, I have zero problem with it, and I think it's fantastic, and it's a joy to watch. But, but you, have to, you have to, you know, you know, consult with your dog, see what they want to do. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, with the dog sports that there are out there at the moment, um, there's kind of two camps. There's people that love it, and there's people that aren't really so keen on it. Mm. Um, and I think we all have heard of stories where kind of people aren't doing good things in the dog sports. Like I've, I've heard of people kind of in agility running dogs that, are kind of on high doses of like Metacam and stuff like that to try and yeah. prolong their, their agility career. Yeah. So like, 
yeah, there's certainly people that kind of can abuse it. And yeah, it's it's really sad because it's. I mean, it's nice to be passionate about what about you what you want to do. It's nice to be passionate and travel around the country every weekend doing your sport. It's a very sociable thing. You know, it's it's fantastic because if you're doing the sport, then you know you're trying to keep your dog fit and healthy. You know, you're you're, you're looking after them in, in general. You want them to perform well. You want them to look good. You know, you're grooming them. You're, you know, you're doing all the care. But, but yeah. it, it mustn't override what the dog actually wants to do. Mm-hmm. So if someone started a competition, you wouldn't be there winning all the trophies? <laughs> no, they can, they can have them. I don't get... Here's the thing. I'm delighted with what my dogs do. I don't need to stand them up against somebody else to say my dog is fantastic. Uh-huh. You know? I, you know it's, 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 it's not, I don't think it's part of my DNA. You know, my, my, I don't think my ego's tied up with, you know, how well my dog's doing. <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily. <laughs> um, the other thing is, uh, different people have different opinions on what scent to use for scent work. Um, and recently I've seen more and more of certain scents aren't good for oh. dogs. Uh, have you come across that? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I've got quite strong opinions on this, actually. Um, oh, have, have, no, this I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure having talked to me for, you know, half an hour, you've realised that I have a few strong opinions. Um, for me, if you are doing scent work for fun, there is zero reason to introduce anything that can be harmful to your dog. Yes. Zero reason. So, therefore, mm-hmm. I would never work with tobacco. I'd never work with gun oil. You know, uh-huh. these, these, these are ridiculous things to work with. Oh, tobacco is an interesting one because I didn't know about oh, that. Oh, my goodness, tobacco. I mean, tobacco is highly toxic. I mean, nicotine is very toxic to dogs. Uh-huh. I never even thought about it, though, through the scent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, maybe I'm changing sense. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> Here's the thing. I mean, it's, if, if, you're, if you're asking the dog to, 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 to do scent work, so you're introducing a particular scent, Yes, he's not getting an awful lot of that scent every time, but he is getting some of it. But if you've trained that dog that when he hits that scent, good things are going to happen. If you've trained your dog for tobacco and he finds mm-hmm. somebody's pack of cigarettes, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I've come across yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember early on in my training, firstly, I so my first scent detection dog or dog that I was training for scent stuff um, was my Labrador. Mm-hmm. And I started off on tobacco. I don't know. I had to choose something. Yeah. Um, and early on in the training, I hid my scent, and then, unbeknownst to me, there was a, a cigarette butt on the floor. Yeah. He came across it and indicated on it, mm-hmm. and I wasn't quick enough. I was thinking, <laughs> I, I was like, do I reward? Yeah, what do you do? Oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't reward. And then in my in my after I went went away and I kind of kicked myself. I was like, oh my god, I should have rewarded because he found it. Um, but yeah, that that problem can definitely happen. Wait, wait, wait. But. At the same time, he only looks for it if I say search. Does, so does smoke, Have you got it uh, under complete stimulus control? The smoker's in my house, and he never indicates on... Now, see, that's where it also gets really interesting, because for me, for, for scent work to be really good, you, you want to introduce a scent that the dog doesn't come across all the time. Because if he comes across it all the time, then he has to make a decision. Do you want me to tell you about it now or not? Mm-hmm. And therefore, unless you've got very good stimulus control, you've got lots of cues that to say, you know, OK, we're working now, you know, you put your harness on, you know, you, you have a different collar, different lead, you use your cue words. Um, again, the dog can still have that question. And he said, well, do you want me to tell you about this now or not? 
Well, you actually, that's a, you just reminded me of something, actually, because I remember years ago reading an article on how there was a lack of dogs that could search out uh, money. Um, and then that, uh, that was on my mind for quite a while, because w- when you learn scent work, you're always told about trying not to use contaminated scents. Yes. And money, there is no way that you're going to get money that isn't contaminated. All contaminated. So, so I always thought that was a really interesting one. It is a really interesting one. I mean, money, money's really interesting in itself because um, that's one of the things that customs dogs look for now. And it's, it's, you know, since the recession, it's become one of their biggest things that they look for. Um, and money is different to, to lots of other scented articles that we look for because if you're looking for drugs, you want the dog to tell you, from the smallest particle up mm-hmm. with money you don't want that so you don't want the dog to say he's got a fiver in his pocket yeah exactly. so with scented um with, with with money what you do is you actually only teach them to find bulk amounts well that must be hard well not if you're customs officer you've got access to all the lovely stuff <laughs> well that's not what i meant <laughs> yeah but that's, but that's the thing so so you're looking you're looking for, for so you don't reward on smaller no, amounts no you never even teach on smaller amounts so it's always bigger, and also it's multiple cents. So when people teach their dogs, well, when professionals teach their dogs to look for money, they're looking for the particular currency, because every currency has its own scent. So you're looking for the currency. You're usually looking for the wrappers as well, you know, because I don't know. I mean, you're probably like me. You know, you go to the bank and you get, you know, fifty grand out, and it's all the nice little wrapped up <laughs> blocks. You know, so that's, you know, it's what we do every day. But that's kind of what, what these dogs are looking for. So okay. therefore, they're looking for, for the scent of the money itself, and they're looking for the wrapper. So they're looking for multiple scents. Um, a little bit like the dogs looking for firearms and explosives. You know, they don't look for one scent. They look for multiple scents because it gives a bigger scent picture and because they always come together. Mm-hmm. So you don't get a wrapper if you've got, you know, 20 quid in your pocket. Sure. So you're looking for all of those things together. So that's why, again, if people are, are kind of playing with this at home, then that's really difficult because then again, if, you know, there's money everywhere. And so the dog has that decision. Well, do you want me to tell you now or do you not want to, me to yeah. tell you? Yeah. Well, that's, that, yeah, that's what reminded me yeah. of Yeah. Really yeah. So it's much easier from the dog's perspective and you get much more accuracy if you introduce the scent that he doesn't hit anywhere else. What do you think of like uh, Birch and Anise and all of those little scents? I mean, I think, you... look, I mean, Anise has been a funny one. I mean, I think, um, we we tried Anise at the start, you know. We could we can, I, you know I played around with lots of different scents to begin with. Um, uh, we found that about a third of the dogs actually actively disliked the smell of Denise. Oh wow! Yeah, which kind of surprised me because I know that they use that for the competitions in in the states. So that that did come as a surprise. So so we we had a lot of dogs that didn't like it, um, it and also that they're quite strong. The quite strong scents, and and again you've got that that kind of slight worry about toxicity. Um, you know anything and then the other oil. one is gun oil yeah I would never use that it's ridiculous to use that does that is that harmful yeah, as well yeah absolutely very toxic <laughs> not as toxic as, as tobacco but um, but yeah why do they choose these scents then well, I don't understand because because that's what you see on the TV that's what you see dogs doing on the TV so rather than thinking I want to do scent work um, and thinking okay now what scent would it be good for my dog to look for when people are starting out you know, like everyone you start out and, you, and you're going to copy what you've seen so, so you know, the dogs, the dogs on TV are not going to look for catnip, which is what I teach my dogs to look for. Do you just use catnip, or yes. do you have other scents Catnip as well? and cheese. Cheese. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, have you ever had a dog that comes to your class that doesn't want to play? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So for those dogs, finding a scented article and playing with that is not rewarding. Uh-huh. So for those dogs, we get them to search for cheese. Yeah. Okay. And it's a specific type of cheese, you know, it's not just any cheese, it's not just any food. Um, and cheese, cheese has got all sorts of magical properties that we can so use. So you have a are you saying you have a catnip scented toy otherwise? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Catnip scented toy or, or catnip on anything. I mean, we, if you do a scent seven with me, then I will just smear a little bit of catnip on the wall and the dog can indicate on that, that, that little smear. Oh, okay. You know, so again, they're doing and it at a high level. Comes. And then the toy comes once they've yeah. found that. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, so that's still an active. Yeah, it's, I know it's, it's very confusing, isn't it? It's, it's, an, it's very confusing for me. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I'm an untrained my... passive. So the dog tries to get to that scent. He gets as close uh-huh. as he can to it. So he's like his nose is on the wall. He says, "This is it." There's nothing to get there, so we introduce something. Okay. But at that point, the dog the dog already understands the game really, really well. And we're not saying that when he does that, that he has to do a sit or a down or a stare. He can do whatever he wants. Okay. So, you know, um, my, my dog once when somebody had hidden something on a basketball hoop. And, so, oh, and yeah, so she's looking around the place and she's like, wow, I don't know. And then she, she just, she's just sat in front of me and her head was just staring upwards. And so I look up like, ah, yeah, there we go. Uh-huh. So that's so why I didn't train her to do that. <coughs> um, in customs, I had uh, one particular moment where we were searching a cabin. And my dog was just, he, he, went, he was in the room and he was just up on his hind legs, like there's something amazing. So what I did was, was I allowed him to rest his front paws on me as he walked around on his back legs until he got really excited in one corner of the room. And then my colleagues went up, took the roof off, and that's, that's where the hide was in the corner of the room. Okay. So you allow the dog to be free, you allow the dog to tell you. It's, I'm not training them to do anything different than they want to offer me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the key. If you have to say, if you have to teach a dog that that when they hit the scent, then they have to stop what they're doing and remember their training, then mm-hmm. that's where a lot of dogs that are not selective form can can fall down because that's really difficult. What do you think of? Um, I don't know what the technical term is. Like no scent signals, where the dog doesn't find anything, so it gives a signal. Oh yeah, so like an all clear signal. That's what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, all clear signal. <clears throat> Um, that that's a really interesting one. I I kind of I've looked at that quite a bit, and I think it works really well for, for um, particular types of searches. I don't think it works for searches where things are deliberately hidden from the dog. And the reason I don't think it works well for that is because um, it's not it's just because the dog hasn't indicated on it doesn't mean to say that it's clear or that he's missed it the handler might have not asked the dog to search that area. Uh-huh. Whereas if you are searching, say, a field for a person, a person gives out a big, big scent picture. And so if you're searching that area and you've searched the whole area and then you can turn around and say that's all clear, that's fine. I'm going to believe the dog. Whereas if I've hidden, you know, you know, two grams of cocaine in that field, I'm not going to turn around and say that's all clear because that's such a small scent picture. Mm-hmm. So I think they can work because I thought because I thought that would be a really nice thing to introduce, and, and it's it's once you start looking at it and thinking it through, you know, and watching dogs searching and watching how they actually work. If it's been deliberately hidden from the dog, I think it's very difficult to give an accurate or clear signal. Yeah, no, it's it's something I came across and I just thought it sounded like a good mm. idea, but it sounds amazing. I, I don't mean you know you see it in action like oh my god that's great. But, you uh-huh. know, is it is it accurate? Unlikely. 
Yes, yeah, it was also it's very hard to find information on. I found. I don't know if you found. No, I mean you probably know where to look better than me. <laughs> well, I stumble across all sorts of stuff. Um, I mean, I've seen <clears> it most in um, Search and Rescue Dogs in USA. Those are the ones that uh-huh. I see it most with. Um, and, and I say, and, and I think because you know, when people when they're you know looking for people like that, you're not looking for people that are trying to hide themselves. You're not make, looking for people that are that are trying to mask their scent, that are trying to to be small. You know, you're looking for people that are in trouble and want to be found. Um, so I think in those situations, I think it can probably work really well. Um, but but I think if you're if you're looking for a, a drug detector dog to do it, that's not going to work. Have you ever ventured into tracking or search and rescue type stuff? Yeah, I've had a little play with tracking. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, that, I mean, I found tracking very difficult when I first started it because I couldn't coming from like a scent work background, I couldn't figure mm-hmm. out what scent they wanted the dogs to find. I'm like, well, what, 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 what scent do you want them to find? Do you want them to find the track layer scent? Do you want them to find the article scent? You know, what, what do you want them to find? And uh-huh. it took me ages to work out that's not what they're doing. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, they're looking for disturbance. They're looking uh-huh. for disturbance in the environment, changes in the area. That's what they're looking for. So once I okay. figured that out, I mean, once I, you know, I was told that, I was like, oh, now I understand. Uh-huh. So it's, you- it's, a, it's a very different skill. You much prefer the scent work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've tried tracking, and I, I'm the same as you. I much prefer the scent. Well, work. you know, tracking involves a lot of early mornings and tramping across fields. And, um, <laughs> that's, that's not my style. <laughs> I like something else that's in my very true. Room. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that's that's too much. Tracking involves a lot more setup, doesn't oh, it? Oh, really? loads of setup and lots of planning, and you know, you need people to help you, and yeah, yeah. I I, I wish I was more dedicated. I mean, I'm doing a little bit of tracking with my Jack Russell for fun. But you know we're very sporadic because I'm I'm quite lazy. So yeah, I've got a little Chihuahua Terrier cross that loves tracking. Yeah, uh, it's cool with the little dogs, isn't it? Yeah, well he's a squirrel hunter, so it, it was a natural. There you go. <laughs> it was a natural avenue. Never mind looking for squirrels. If he's out in the woods, get him hunting for truffles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do something useful. Good idea. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um. So where can people get involved with your stuff then, pal? If they come to scentwork.com. They can find all our courses there. So all our workshops are listed. They're listed by one to six. They're listed by area. I mean, we do them all over the UK. Um, you know, just planning at the moment. We're going down to Jersey, going up to Mull in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we have people all over. I think in your neck of the woods, we've got Bath, we've got Dorset. So, you know, we've got people all over. So you can find everything about it on there. You can also find out about our site, about Members Club which is a really nice place because it's a really good place to meet people that are doing the same type of scent work. So, you know, when you're trying to do blind searches, you can get together and they can hide stuff for you. And it's, and it's become a real, a real good social thing. You know, we, we just had a lot of people Ooh. go up from some sort of York um, and kind of from, from sort of down, down my area all the way up to Mull because they, they kind of got friends with people that are doing scent work up there and they went and did scent work up there around the castles and the beaches. So, uh-huh. so yeah, they can find out about our members club on scentwork.com. Are they open to all dogs then? How about dogs with like reactive dogs and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, really good for reactive dogs actually. For dogs that are worried, dogs that are not particularly sociable for whatever reason, um, our, our workshops, what we can do is we can set it up so that either the other dogs are out of the room, we've even cleared all the people from the room, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just built it up. They can work on a long line or they can work off lead depending on what they feel more comfortable with. So yeah, okay. it's, it's, a really, it's a really good solo sport. Um, for for people to to kind of work with their dogs because it, it it you know it takes a lot of lot of boxes for them it works their mind it works them physically but they don't mm-hmm. actually have to be around other dogs so yeah 
we're happy to accept those dogs at our workshops. Okay, so how, how do the workshops work? Is it one dog at a time? Yeah, we have a maximum of 12 dogs. Um, and are they in the in the in the room or are they in the car? It depends. They... It depends on what people want to do. The way I set the workshop up is you have your work area, and then we have a safe space where there's nothing, and then we have people sitting at the back of the room. Um, and so, if your dog's happy to work in the room with other dogs, then the dogs are there. And if your dog needs the space, then we clear the dogs out, and then the dogs all work one at a time. Okay. Cool. And it's it's really nice because quite often what we get is we get dogs that are maybe reactive or worried about other dogs, and because we set up a safe space, I mean that safe space is is so important because no matter what you're teaching, if the dog feels worried or anxious, they're not going to be able to learn. So it's really uh-huh. important to set up an area that when the dog comes in, they kind of look around and they go, "Oh God, this dog's here. Is this going to be all right?" They start working. Mm-hmm. And they actually find that no dogs are going to run, rush out at them. Nobody's going to come into their space. And so mm-hmm. sometimes what we get is we get the dog at the start of the day who comes in, working on the long line, you know, maybe a couple of very quiet dogs in cages at the back of the room, nothing else. And by the end of the day, he can be working with all the dogs in the room, just lying watching them, and they're not bothered. So it can, That sounds brilliant. It, 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 works, it can work really fast. And it builds confidence as well. And it's counter-conditioning. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, the dog's here, but actually it's, that's <clears> nothing to do with me because I'm doing this job over here. And then you can use that when you're out and about. So you can do scent work when you're out around other dogs. Uh-huh. So it, it can work really, really well from a behavioural point of view. Uh-huh. I think I remember reading as well, once you get to a certain level, you can then become an instructor. Yeah. There? Yeah, because we have, um, we have what we call our, incred- our accredited trainers. And uh, so the accredited trainers, they can deliver workshops. And, and all we ask for that is that, well, I say all we ask. We, we ask a lot of our trainers. Yeah. We really do, because I'm, I'm a great believer that, that, that we're not just teaching a technique. We are teaching um, how to teach scent work, but also looking at the individual dog we have in front of us. So therefore, you have to look at their emotional state. You have to look at their well-being. You have to look at see how they're, they're coping with the room. And also, you have to have good training knowledge. You know, if, if, you, if you don't know the basics of your training, then you're not going to be able to do scent work, uh, you know, in order to teach it to somebody else. So on average, our trainers work for about two years before they become accredited. Um, mm-hmm. So they work their way up through scent one to six, and then mm-hmm. they come and assist at our workshop. So they've learned it from the other side. And then, mm-hmm. you know, gradually they get to deliver more and more of the workshops until they get to a point where we think, yeah, they feel comfortable. I feel comfortable that they're going to deliver a good, a good workshop and do a good job. And then um, if, if we're both happy, they get offered a license to, to become one of our accredited trainers. What about people that aren't based in the UK? Do you have any books or rec- even a recommendation? Yeah, for- good question. Thank you for asking that question. Um, yeah, we have, um, we have the Talking Dog Scent Work Manual. Um, so we have that at the moment. We also yeah, that's that's available on Amazon or it's available from the website. Um, there's a couple of DVDs. There's Scent One and there's Scent Two. So exactly like the workshop, Scent One teaches the dog how to play the game, um, and Scent Two starts to look at handling skills. And if you're not in the UK, you can if you're in the USA, you can get them from Dogwise, Dogwise.com. Um, they supply them, and they also supply the starter kits as well, which is just a little storage tin. Um, it comes with a little mouse in it, a little soft toy mouse, and some catnip. And so, therefore, you know, you can start off right right from the get-go with, with that. Um, so that's available in the USA. But also you can buy our videos on um, Vimeo. So Vimeo at the Talking Dog Scent Work um, page. Um, you can just download them direct. So, you know, if you don't want to wait for Amazon to deliver or, you know, you don't want to wait for anything, you can just download the book. You can download the DVDs right now. 
Oh, cool. All right, thanks, Pam. That's all right. All right, have a have a lovely evening. Actually, nice to talk to you. Keep up your set. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks. You too. Bye.